Well, good morning, LCM. What an incredible time that we are living in here at this church. With that kind of an announcement, that lets us know that we have a birth every month in 2019. We've already had Susanna and Wendy. I believe I'm going to try to do this in order. If I'm wrong, just blame it completely on me. The pastors, I'm sure, corrected me on it. I think Eve is next. Eve, could you stand up for a second? Can you make it? Yeah, she's next. Lena. Lindsay. And then Lindsay again. Sasha. Ella. Stephanie. Sam. Tara. Hannah. Joy. And now Susan Lawhon. While we're calling it out, did I miss anybody? Okay, just checking. <laughs> and it's not too late if you want to squeeze in a preemie. You know, you just, <laughs> we'll understand if you skip fellowship tonight. What an exciting time this is. As you're sitting here and looking across the kids that are completely uh, adorning our stage here this morning, plus the babies that are coming. Man, what an exciting time. Amen. We're also excited to have Pastor, Elder, Most Right Reverend, the Venerable Eric Stevens with us today. Pastor Eric is going to be heading out tomorrow to continue to strengthen the Churches of the One Association. You guys may not be paying attention to this, but my heart is bursting with joy as I think about my friends, the Stevens, going and strengthening all of our brother churches. Yeah, I made it male. It's a brother church. Brother churches. About They're going to be investing in uh, Pastor Hutchinson and the Remnant Church coming up for the next few weeks. And that is such a joy. That's such an honor for us to be watching that go on. Uh, we have mission trips to India this week. The, mission, the India team is leaving on Thursday. Amen. We have a trip to Indonesia planned in the, in the very near future, right on the heels of that. I think that I get back on one day, and I think the next day, Pastor Matt and, and Castor are leading a group that goes to Indonesia. We have several trips to Peru, to Matamoros, to Aguascalientes, and even more that I just can't tell you about yet. What an exciting time. We have the One Association Conference coming up. If you're not already praying for that, you're missing an opportunity for you to get blessed by praying for that. Man, what an incredible season that we're in. Today, church, is April 14th, 2019, and the title of today's sermon is Out of Reach. Hmm. Come on, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We'll start with verse 45. All these curses will come upon you. Well, don't we know that the Torah, the Word of God, is life, but it contained curses for persistent unfaithfulness, right? All right, let's keep that in mind as we read. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the commands and decrees He gave you. They will be a sign and a wonder to you and your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully, And gladly Mm. in the time of prosperity. Mm. Come on, being joyful and glad is the greatest sign of thankfulness that we have in a time of prosperity. Amen. 
God promised, and what we are announcing today with yet another baby being added to this congregation is a sign of God's prosperity. But what is our obligation? What is our responsibility? Joy. Joy. To be glad. To be thankful. You know, as parents, since we're talking about all these children, as parents, we get to enjoy and experience watching our children grow up and develop this same thing that the Word of God is teaching us right here. That is, you may bring them to, let's say, I don't know, a restaurant, and then you have some yogurt right afterwards. Maybe even go all the way to Disney World. And immediately, as soon as they're done with that last thing, they are upset, pouting, unthankful, unjoyful, ungrateful about everything they just received. Saints, it's an imperative that we have to make sure we're not that unhappy, ungrateful, and undeserving child and maintain a joyful and gladful heart about the prosperity that God's given us. If you should happen to be at a two-year-old's birthday party and you notice that the pile of gifts is causing the two-year-old to throw a tantrum, if you happen to see something like that, what's the only responsible thing that you could do? Swift judgment, yes. See, sometimes what we think of blessings are actually a hindrance in our lives. This is why we've been preaching about deserts of dependency. So look what the Lord is faithful to do in verse 48. Therefore, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends against you. He will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the ends of the earth, like an eagle swooping down, a nation whose language you do not understand, a fierce-looking nation without respect for the old or pity for the young. They will devour the young of your livestock and the crops of your land until you are destroyed. They will leave you no grain, new wine, or oil, or any calves of your herds or lambs of your flocks until you are ruined. Come on, is that heavy? That's about as heavy as it gets. Are you sitting in here thinking, my God, I'm glad that's Old Testament. The thing is, is God's character never changes. If blessings in your life are not good for you and your relationship with Him, then the best thing that could happen is adversity be added. What we want to point out to you is that in this passage, we have an eagle that is introduced. The eagle is seen as swooping down. He's a symbol of overwhelming judgment from above, bringing ruin like a curse right out of the sky. That's ominous, isn't it? This is an unfaithful person's view of God. They're always looking up at an angry God who's ready to punish disobedience. In fact, that's how he's characterized by the unfaithful. What they fail to realize, maybe what you have failed to realize, is that's the position that you have chosen to stand in. God never expressed the desire to do this. He expresses it as a response to disobedience and unfaithfulness. We're going to follow this imagery throughout the Bible. You're going to notice that it's consistent from the Older Testament, the Tanakh, all the way through the Brit Hadushah, the Newer Testament. It never changes 
Because Adonai does not change. And we want you to pay attention to that today. Amen. We've started today in the law to incline our hearts towards what the Lord is speaking to us. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 4 so that we can see what the prophets have to say along the same theme. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 13. Say there when you're there. It's okay, I'm going to wait and let you get there. Say there when you are there. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 13 says this, Look, he advances like the clouds. His chariots come like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. What is the prophet here trying to say? He's trying to say, hey, pay attention to what's going on. Because the adversity, we're going we're gonna to level up. We're going to amplify what's going on. He advances like what? Like the clouds. Mm. You can't even fathom how to stop a cloud as it's coming in. Yes, that's exactly the point. His chariots, they're not only just man-made chariots, they're coming in like a whirlwind, like a tornado that comes across a desert region. His horses, the fastest thing that they can imagine, are swifter than eagles. A horse can run anywhere between 30 and 50 miles an hour. The most advanced breeds for the shortest distances can run up to 50 miles an hour. That's fast. Can you imagine being in the ancient world and seeing something moving at 40 miles an hour? That's blistering fast, but swifter than an eagle. An eagle as it is swooping. A bald eagle can get up to 100 miles an hour as it's swooping down. A golden eagle can get up to 150 miles an hour as it's swooping down. That's faster than Jennifer drives. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine something that in your mind you've never seen anything move anywhere close to that? The impending judgment that comes with this picture of an eagle. Woe to us, we are ruined, it goes on to say. Oh, Jerusalem. Come on, somebody say Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Wash the evil from your heart and be saved. How long will you harbor wicked thoughts? The wickedness brings swift judgment. Like an eagle swooping down. In this case, we see that it's swooping down on Jerusalem. Mm. Let's continue on. Let's swiftly go over to Jeremiah 49, then verse 22. Trying to tie it all in this morning. Look, an eagle will soar and swoop down at 150 miles an hour, spreading its wings over Basra. In that day, the hearts of Edom's warriors, Edomites are Gentiles, The previous scripture we're speaking of, we're speaking to the nation of Israel. Now we're speaking to Gentiles. That's you. That's me. And the Edom's warriors will be like the heart of a woman in labor. Can you imagine this in most vulnerable times? We have a a birth happening every month from now until the end of this year. Ladies, can you imagine at the point where you're giving birth to your child, now you have to pick up a sword and go to war. That's a vulnerable place to be in. Well, Israeli archaeologists have uncovered what exactly this entire scripture is pointing to. And we want to play it for you just to get a better description of what it looks like to be in a vulnerable position. And an eagle swooping down to bring judgment. Let's play that video.
That's why you don't want to be a goat. You want to be a son of God. You want to be a sheep. You don't want to be a goat. Those little goats have to look out for an eagle. Sons of God do not. In Hosea 8, we kind of come to the point that we're driving at from the Tanakh. Hosea 8 and verse 1. Oh, you're fascinated with the goat video and two of you made it to Hosea. They're just feeling a conviction, Pastor. Put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord. You know, it's one thing if an eagle is over the house of your enemy. It's another thing if the eagle is over the house of the Lord. See, this is almost inappropriate imagery. Because the eagle ought not have to be a bird of prey over the house of the Lord. Look at why. Because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, O our God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. I want you to notice something. They are saying the right things. They are simply not doing the right things. We live in a time that if you can nod your head in a few pertinent places... To someone's doctrinal statement, we consider you good with God. God doesn't. He never has. Simply being able to say, "Uh uh-huh, while somebody else quotes something that another man wrote centuries before, doesn't get you anywhere with the Lord. We are in serious danger as a people that we have learned to acknowledge God with our lips while denying Him With our actions. Look at the way that he says they do it. They set up kings without my consent. Are you the own king of your life? Because that's without God's consent. When we do what we like and refuse what we dislike, it brings the eagle over the house of God. Instead, he is our king and us, we must be dependent on him for every choice. In fact... The second half of the verse. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. How many choices do we make in a day without ever considering that the Lord is supposed to make our choices for us? That's an incredibly convicting thought, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Saying the right things while doing the wrong things brings sudden, overwhelming destruction like an eagle swooping down. That's a sobering thought. Anyone that has ever thought that the Older Testament was severe, while the Newer Testament was dripping with excessive, emotional, syrupy, sweet, confectionary type love, (laughs) has misunderstood the Bible. The God of the Bible and the nature of God's salvation. We're going to consider a passage in Revelation chapter 8. Turn there with me now. Notice that it's completely consistent with every other image displayed throughout the entirety of the Older Testament, the Tanakh. I want you to ask yourself as I'm reading this passage to you and you're following along in your own Bible, right there in front of you, that if you think this is less or more harsh than the previous verses that we've read. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 10 says this, the third angel sounded his trumpet, just like Hosea, we find another trumpet being called and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water 
The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Verse 12, the fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of all of those turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. This is pretty intense. Yeah. People want to allegorize these things because they feel like it's just too much to actually be what God is prescribing and will happen in our, in our world where we can actually see it. Look at verse 13. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe! Woe! Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. You thought the third and the fourth one were bad? You have an eagle, this symbol of impending judgment, calling out saying, you guys better get ready. Whoa, whoa to you, because this is coming. And an unrepentant, sinful man can expect catastrophic judgment from above. Mm. Both in the older and in the newer testament. Do you see that? Do you see how this is promised? This is because there is one God and one revelation of God. We have a continuous, contiguous book that has been given to us that from the beginning to the end has one message, one thought, one heartbeat, undivided in any way. Adonai does not change at all. There is no shadow of turning in our God. What may surprise you though, hopefully it will even bless you, Amen. is that This impending judgment was never at any time God's original intent, nor is it his desire for any man. As fathers in the room, can't you see that same heart reflected in yours? The Father in heaven now in yours? That it's not your only objective to operate in judgment towards your children? Mothers, prego ladies... Is it your dream to only apply discipline to your children all day long? No, not at all. This was never God's intent either. In fact, I want to show you something so that we don't have to read all seven verses. Seven times in the Tanakh, the covenant that God makes with Moses is described a certain way. Deuteronomy 7.9, just to give you a hint at what they're all saying, says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping His covenant of love a thousand generations. Now, how do you reconcile covenant of love with an eagle over the house of God? The intent of the covenant was never to bring judgment. In fact, the intent of the covenant was to bring life. Man chooses their position, whether in death or in life. Seven times it's repeated throughout the Older Testament that this is a covenant of love. In fact, in Nehemiah 9, I just want to give you a few. Seven of them. Seven things that Nehemiah says about it. He says, Lord, you loved us enough to speak to the whole nation from from heaven. He goes on to say, you gave us As a nation, rest. He says, you're forgiving, compassionate, gracious, abounding in love. You even gave your spirit to instruct us. He said, you gave us manna and you gave us water. You gave us the nations as an inheritance. On top of all of that, Lord, 
You never abandoned us. But we rebelled. And then he says, you remember your covenant of love. See, could it be that we have viewed the Older Testament wrongly? Because we've acted inappropriately. You know, a guilty child views his parents wrongly. Full of fear. Ready to be punished because of their behavior, not because of the parents. The parent could have pulled into the driveway with a present in the trunk. And all you want to do is bless your child. But because the child has been doing evil all day, terrified when he sees his father. Theologians don't see the Tanakh as a covenant of love because they're unregenerate. Pastors don't preach the Tanakh, as a covenant of love because they are degenerate. Nehemiah's point of view is the biblical point of view. After all, he's the one that compiled the books of the Tanakh. And this is how he summarizes it. This is the turning point in our message. If God never intended to have the eagle hovering over his people to swoop down in sudden judgment, what is it that he did intend? And this begins good news. Would you like some good news? Yes. Turn with us to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 1. As many times as we've covered this subject in this church, this idea that this is a covenant of love. I was perplexed, pastors, as I'm sitting here listening to you and saying, I wonder how many in this room today actually still view it as a covenant of love. How actually view it, not just in your theology, but in your practice. Are you the child that's been obedient so you're excited when dad's coming home? Or have your own actions put you at odds with God and we sit and impugn God's character? As if he didn't instruct us with a covenant of love. Look at Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1. Are you there? In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, Man, if you missed Wednesday night's service, you've missed something. The desert of dependency. I think that's one of those kind of sermons that Pastor Eric brought on Wednesday that we're going to refer back to for a long, long time. Here we are again in the desert. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, an Israel camp there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. It's amazing. God's plan here is revealed to a very, very specific group of people on a very specific day in a very, very specific place. And this is what he says. Verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt. Yeah, they did. This is the third month. This is right about 50 days after they had left. 50 days. What were you doing 50 days ago? Uh, Pastor, I can't remember what I did yesterday. If you had just been liberated from 400 years of slavery, do you think you would remember what was going on 50 days ago? You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. You saw it with your own eyes. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Mm. We got to stop here for just a second. When you are underneath the eagle as it's swooping down, you should be very, very afraid. Moving with more swiftness than you could ever hope to manage. But what is the Lord saying here? I carried you. 
Did he carry them in his talons underneath? He says, I carried you on eagle's wings, on. on the wings, and brought you to myself. There was an elevation that took place. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. What a beautiful thought. You are seeing the heart of the covenant of love here. If you will obey me, if you will show me that you love me and do what I have instructed you, instead of becoming your own king, managing your own thoughts, directing your own activities, I will make you my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, by the way. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. God's covenant of love was given so that the people could rise above the shadow of impending curse, the shadow of the judgment to come, the shadow of the punishment that was due them because of their actions. Oh, let that sink in for a second. This is the moment where they would rise above judgment, not be under it. This is the moment they go beyond punishment. And they become priests, not sit in punishment. This is God's intent. It's only their position that is a problem. You may have to adjust your position today. The people of God were to be on top of the wings, not underneath them. Love was calling to the people to lift them in a relationship like a spouse, like a son, like a priest, like a treasured possession, as opposed to waiting as opposed to a slave who is awaiting only punishment. Yeah. Are you guys understanding this from Exodus 19? One of the most beautiful moments in the entirety of the word. And you're seeing it here as they are lifted on eagle's wings. Guys, do you all hear that call loud and clear that God is making to help us rise above judgment? That he is a God of the covenant of love. And that when the judgment is issued, it is for our salvation. Is to redirect our hearts and redirect our steps in how we're being obedient to them. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 9. Are you all tracking with us this morning? Has the cool chill of our AC lulled your spirits to sleep? Will we continue to stir the fire of the Holy Ghost in this room? Amen, amen. Deuteronomy 32, verse 9. For the Lord's portion is his people. Who is it, saints? His people. Specifically, what people, though, is it speaking of? Israel. Israel. Jacob, his allotted inheritance. In a desert land, he found him. Come on, relate to that. Where did Jesus find you? He found you in a desert land. In a barren and hollowing waste. Come on, I know when I came to Jesus, I had messed my life up by the age of 16. I was barren. I was hollow. I kept telling everyone that there was a deep black hole inside of me that would just consume every part of life thrown at it. And that I could not help but crave and hunger for one that would help me rise above judgment. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. Well, when you experience that rising above judgment and inheriting that covenant of love, don't you look back and see how God has made you the apple of his eye? 
How many instances occurred prior to Jesus that you came near death, that your life should have ended, or would soon there end it after that event? Who here would like us to touch your pupil? You, you're welcome to come down on the stage if you would like us to touch you on the pupil. See, there's not a volunteer in the whole room. This expression is meant to cause you to be shocked a little. He guards you like someone would guard the pupil of their eye. Well, consider that. Does that sound like a father that wants to be an eagle over the house of the Lord? No, it's a father who wants to guard and protect his children. The problem is, is the position of the child, not the character of the father. Do you need to change your position today? Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hover over its young. We challenge you to consider changing your position. Consider that God is stirring up your nest. Consider that he's hovering over you. One to guard you and protect you. One that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them on its pinions. Mm. One who, after stirring up that nest, after watching that baby eagle trying to learn how to fly and failing. You know, you can't watch a YouTube video and learn how to be a better follower of Jesus. No more than an eagle can watch a YouTube video and learn how to fly better. Sometimes the Lord has just got to push you out of the nest and let you fall a little bit. And is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? Uh, okay, I'm going to dive at 150 miles an hour and rescue him. Spread out his wings. And next thing you know, instead of falling under the judgment of God, you are held up by the wings of God. That his pinions are supporting you. And you feel his comfort and his affirmation there in his covenant of love. The Lord alone led him. No foreign God was with him. He made him ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruits of the fields. He first puts them on eagle's wings in relationship above the judgment as Pastor Wade just read in Exodus 19. You know what year that was in their deliverance? That was year one. Here, he is reminding them after 40 years of that same covenant of love. This is after years of disobedience, years after discipline and disappointment. But Adonai is faithful. He is slow to anger and he is compassionate to those who are his portion. So that nobody in the room misses this. We started with the common conception, the angry God of the Older Testament, as if some miraculous metamorphosis happens in the Newer Testament. That is not true. But neither is it true that the God of the Older Testament is an angry God. In fact, you know what you may not have noticed? We read you the majoritative use of eagle. It is, eagle in its majority is swift impending judgment. You know what the last two references were? The first two in the Bible. The first time God ever introduces the term. He is introducing it as an agent of rescue, him rescuing his children. The second time he introduces the term is 40 years later when they still need to be rescued. His preference is that he would scoop you on top of his wings and carry you above the judgment in relationship with him. It is only through persistent unfaithfulness that you find yourself positioned under his wing. 
See, his character is to save, to rescue. This is why the Newer Testament says he's not willing that any should perish. And yet, everyone outside of Christ does perish. It's not his desire. It wasn't his desire then. It's not his desire now. You may even feel his spirit of holiness tugging at your heart right now to reposition yourself so that you can be rescued by him rather than judged by him. But I got to tell you, lip service is not enough. I love the idea that his love lifts us above the judgment, don't you? It's like an airplane wing. You look up and you see hundreds of tons in the sky and you wonder how on earth does that thing sit up there? It has to do with wind moving over the top of the wing faster than the wind moving under the wing. It's Bernoulli's principle that creates lift. Well, when you spend more time as a son on top of God's wing than a slave under his wing, it creates a lift. You rise. You rise to become like your father. Amen. 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 Do you want to rise up today? Yes. We're going to see us take flight. Psalm 103, we're going to read a few verses out of it. And I want you to notice this is in the Tanakh. It's in the Older Testament. We're in the section called the Ketuvim. This is not John 3.16. This is not your favorite 2 Timothy 3.16. This is from the Tanakh. Are you ready? Yes. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise His holy name. Does that sound like somebody under the judgment of God or somebody in relationship with Him? See, the words out of a man's mouth about God will tell you where the man is positioned with Him. Whether he is a son on top of the wing or he's a slave ready to be punished under the wing. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. This is somebody who is in prosperity and is thankful for for it. The thing that's prospering the most inside of this person is their soul. See, sometimes you can't be given enough to be made happy because you're not on top of a wing. You're not up there with the Lord meditating on his thoughts, letting his face reflect on you. You are slavish, earthly and sinful. And so you are never happy. Man, if you look back over a month of your life, And in that month, you colored your calendar red for a bad day and green for a good day. What would your life look like? Do you really think the Most High won't notice that? This man in the Ketuvim is experiencing inner revival and he never heard the verse John 3.16. He recognized a covenant of love. He saw it. He saw it for what it is, a loving father that wants to rescue his children. Look at what happens here. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works justice, I'm sorry, righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. See, this has always been the Father's desire. And it is His disposition towards those who love Him. Let's go over the seven things that were here. And remember, these are not Newer Testament concepts. This is in the Tanakh. 
A God who forgives all your sins. Where did they find that? They found that in the redemption in Exodus. A God who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life. Who crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things. Who renews youth like an eagle and works righteousness and justice. Somebody say that's good. That's good. God's character has never changed. Whether newer or older testament, Adonai does not change. But your position, it can change. See, that's the good news. He is an immovable standard, a righteous father. He is a rock. But you, you can change your position. The only thing that you need to do is change your position from being under the shadow of a wing of judgment to be a son on top of the eagle's wings in relationship with your king and father. You become a spouse. You become a priest. You become a son. That altogether changes your relationship with the Lord. Do you feel like a son of God in the house today? Can I be honest with you? I have an advantage. I'm standing here looking at you. You're all looking at me. I can see that some of you do not feel like sons of God in the house. I know that. I could call your names, but because you're not a son, you wouldn't view it as a kindness. You would think you were being picked on. I'm here to tell you that the spirit of holiness, he's not here because he wants to punish you. He's here because he wants to compel you higher. He wants to change your position. I'm saying this and being as forward and as bold as I am because I want every person in here to experience the love of the Father in the way that I'm getting to. See, that brings confidence. I'm not worried or fearful about judgment. You know, Psalm 103 says he's a father with compassion. Proverbs 3 says he's a father who delights in his children. Psalm 18 literally has him flying in to rescue his children. See, this is the image of our father. If you think God is out to get you like a mob boss coming to collect his tithe, that says more about you than it says about God. Today, we invite you to change your position. Amen. Come on, turn with us to the Newer Testament, to 1 John chapter 4. Can you see how the consistency of Scripture is there before us each time? We have a God who does not change, and He is speaking. Here He's speaking through the Apostle, the Elder John. And in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17, it says this, In this way. Come on, say that with me. Say, in this way. In this, in this way. way. Love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Wow. That thought of having confidence on the day of judgment. Now, I am am probably the biggest nerd in this room. I actually was one of those crazy students in school that I liked when it got to final exam time. That was me. It's because I had worked hard the entire time. I was actually trying my best. It, made it, it, it was going to be what it was going to be, but I had been trying for a long time. I didn't worry about having to try to cram in all the information in the last few minutes. See, 
We can have confidence on the day of judgment. How do we do this? By having a love that is made complete. Because in this world, we are supposed to be like Him. Oh, come on now. Like Him. We are supposed to be just like Him. These things that we are talking about through the Psalms, through the entire Tanakh. How can you have confidence? By being on the correct side of judgment. If you're on top of the wings, you can have confidence. You can stand there with a surety and says, and say that I know that the day of judgment is coming, but I am on the right side of this. I have changed my position from being under the swooping effect of this judgment. Now I have been lifted above because of His love. I'm above judgment. I'm on eagle's wings now. I can be carried by the incredible, the complete, the powerful love of God, the Father. Being like Him gives us complete confidence. How's your confidence today? How's your confidence in your walk with the Lord? Are you completely confident today? Because if you're not, it shows that you need to adjust your position to be on the correct side of judgment. Look at verse 18, one of my favorite verses. There is no fear in love. Yeah, you guys, uh, a few of you reacted and understood that. This should be a revelatory moment. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. You know why? Because fear wants to hang on. Isn't that right, Ruby? It wants to hang on. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. With judgment. With punishment. The one who fears has not been made perfect in love. How many of you have on your Nabal traits fear in any way. The one who fears is not yet made perfect in love. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. God wants to elevate you today. God wants to be able to put you on his wings and bring you to himself. You can't get there, but you can get on the right side of judgment today. He, his rescue in Egypt was love for his people. His revelation at Sinai was love for His people. And on a day like today, we can celebrate the fact that Christ's entry into Jerusalem was love for all of mankind. When you're thinking about this, people say all the time, fear, there, there's no fear in love. But, but it's totally out of context of the rest of the Tanakh. What this has been used to, to propagate is that you don't fear the Lord. That is not true. When you love somebody... When you love them with all of your being, you don't want to let them down. You want to live up to what they, what they expect, what they want. You look at your position and theirs all of the time to see if you're doing okay. And the one thing that you fear, it's not a trembling, scared, somebody's going to get you fear. The one thing that you actually fear is you have such an awesome respect for them that you want to get it right. Yeah. yeah. There is no sinful fear in love. The fear of the Lord causes you to love Him. See, this whole concept has been contorted because it's been divorced from the Tanakh. He rescued a people that were in slavery and they couldn't rescue themselves. He separated them from death by the blood of the Lamb. He baptized them in the Red Sea while He washed away Egypt. He fed them manna from heaven and water right out of a rock. They couldn't do any of that themselves. But then he says, because I've picked you out of all of the nations, you have to obey me. Obedience is love. 
It's a two-way street here. And when you obey me, I will carry you on eagles' wings. I'm asking you to evaluate your thoughts about the Lord. Are you worried at any moment that you're out of his will? Because you wouldn't have to be worried about it if you knew for sure you were in his will. And I know that your sinful hearts can uh, be so manipulated that your minds begin to justify your position. But when you can't get rid of something, when it's nagging at you, when you put it away but you don't even want to see certain people anymore because they remind you of your actual condition, friends, you have to change your position. See, it was never God's will to judge you and hurt you. It was always His will to raise you up, but your position is a problem. You change it through repentance. Today is triumphal entry. The triumph of God's Torah becoming flesh as Yeshua is expressed in that a faithful son received the curses meant for the sinful sons who were under the judgment of God. You got that? He was killed because of the sinful sons. And he was a faithful son. The idea is that this would remove the threat of punishment for those who were attempting to respond to His love. It wouldn't be about a God with a stick ready to smack you. His commands were not about punishment. They were about life. See, those who were aiming to be like Him, sons who wanted to be faithful, the triumphal entry is a way for that to happen. I want to read Galatians 3.13 to you in the complete Jewish Bible version. Could put up that slide. You guys need some confidence this morning? Y'all need some perfect love that drives out fear. Let's read this in that context. The Messiah redeemed us from the curse pronounced in the Torah. Pronounced in the Torah. The Torah itself is not a curse. But it would pronounce the curse because of our condition. It pronounced the curse because of our position relating to it. By the way, the Newer Testament pronounces curses all of the time. Cursed is anyone who does not love Jesus Christ. There's no difference between the Older and the Newer Testament. Yes. And by becoming cursed on our behalf. Come with that perfect love that drives out fear, that confidence to change positions and become that Son of God that rises above judgment is because we have a Messiah that has become a curse on our behalf. Well, think about that, the weight of sin that sits upon you, that sits upon everyone you come in contact with. It is a death sentence. And when you are one with Messiah, you accept that ability for Him to take the curse you deserve, but it's on His behalf. Before the Tanakh says, everyone who hangs from a stake comes under that curse. Jesus, Yeshua, has loved us so much that He has made a way for us to transform our position. There is hope that punishment was never the goal of any command. The goal was to receive the life that results from keeping that command. Yeah, Keeping the command results in life. God's perfect love makes a way for us to be perfected in love. Who needs to be perfected in love this morning? Come on. Anybody? Anybody in here rather be on top of the wing than under the wing? Yes. Anybody in here want to be a son rather than a slave? Yes. 
the great life transforming power of the gospel means you can act like a slave on one day and become a son simply by stretching forth in faith the very next day. Look, what Pastor Piro is saying is clearly expressed in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin, say no sin, no, no sin. sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It also says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Mm. Lastly, 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you love him? Yes. Do you love him? Yes. Are you sure you love him? Yes. John 14, 21 says it this way. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Hey, look, wow. Look. I'm sorry, Pastor. No. Love is displayed in obedience that is empowered by the spirit of his holiness. While not yet perfected, love always is aiming at perfection. See, our motivator has nothing to do with punishment. It has everything to do with loving Him specifically because you know that you have been loved by Him. Why do you love? Because He first loved you. See, if you really love Him, then it shows up in your obedience to His will, not your going your own way. A few verses later in John 14, look at verse 30. It says, I will speak with you. I will not speak with you much longer. For the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on oh, me. Amen. Come on, now that should make you excited because if we are to be like him, if we are walking as he is walking, then the, the prince of this world, his arrival makes no difference to you. It does not change your circumstances. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Good God, exactly? Exactly what exactly. he has commanded me. Anyone stand in this room and say, I do exactly what the Father commands? See, Jesus is a perfect son of God. Jesus is displayed as a perfect son. He displayed a perfect love for the Father. He is the son of God. He is also the firstborn among many brothers, according to Romans 8 and verse 29. This means that he is the first of what we are supposed to become. That perfected son is demonstrated here in Jesus Christ. Hey, every younger brother in the history of the world is worried about living up to the reputation of their older brother. But somehow or another, as we mature, you grow into it. Jesus Christ is our elder brother. He is a son of the Father. And He has made a way for you to live and be like Him. Yes. You have to walk as He walked. This older thought... That is completely wrong that says because of what he did, I don't have to do anything. That's a spoiled younger brother about to become a slave under the judgment of God. His love compels us 
to become more. His life, His actions, His walk show us that it can be done. He Himself said, you will do greater things. And we act like it's not possible. I'm here to tell you today, it is possible. You can change your position right now. You can move from judgment to sonship. And you can do it in the distance between your chairs and this altar if your heart is moved with equal intensity. Come on, as we turn to Colossians 1, verse 18, let those words that Pastor Eric continue to ring in your heart and your mind. That there is hope. There is hope to change your position. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. If there is a firstborn, that means there are more yet after Him. Yes. Do you want to be included in being raised from the dead along with yes. your older brother? So that in everything, say everything, 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 he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Come on, this passage explains that he is that firstborn son from the dead. And that by doing so, He paid a price for you and me to be reconciled so that we can be sons, not just with Him, saints. We can be sons like Him. Amen. Yeah. Just like Him. Yeah. Let's pick up in verse 21. Once you were alienated from God. Can y'all say amen to that? That's yeah. True. Amen. And were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Why, pastor? Because of... There we go. You guys are a smart church. Not because God was angry and wanted to hurt people. No. But because of our evil behavior. Verse 22 begins with a great word. (laughs) But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Come with the, the images that we see in the movies of Passion for the Christ are that we can illustrate in our own mind as we read the gospels of Jesus hanging on a cross that was a real physical body that experienced a real physical death that is now giving you the power to be just like him through Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight doesn't that sound like rising above judgment and on the wings of eagles holy in his sight without blemish just like my beautiful bride sitting right there in a blue shirt. Without blemish and free from accusation. Here's our responsibility, though, saints. If you continue in your faith, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, become a servant. With such a high price that has been paid, it's an imperative that we respond to this by continuing in our faith. The the investment that God has made is too high and too great not to. So the traditional thought goes something like this. Well, in the Old Testament, that was then, but this verse says, but now, now in Christ, see, Christ changed everything. Oh, yes, but not in the way that you're thinking that He did. If you were responsible before, How much more responsible do you think you are now that the faithful son took a curse for you? 
See, the faithful son taking the curse doesn't alleviate you from the need to rise in sonship. It actually makes you far more responsible. I was having dinner with Carlos and Patty the other night. If you haven't had a chance to do that, that is an amazing event. This is an amazing couple. They were teaching me a little bit and I was learning. And I, Carlos, I want you to hear that I learned what you had to say. Because in Exodus 34, I want to walk through these with you. You don't have to turn. I won't lie to you. Okay? In Exodus 34, something happens. We're going to see sons become like their father. I want to read this to you. It's verse 29. When Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken With the Lord. See, Moses standing in the presence of his father, communing with him, transformed Moses' face to be like the face of his father. He was on eagle's wings, transcending thoughts of punishment and accusation. Moses was a son triumphantly representing his father. He was on top of the eagle's wings. Come on, I've got another good example, Pastor. In Luke chapter 9 and also in verse 29, we see this in Moses in the law, designed to incline our hearts. Jesus, we see the same thing in verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Jesus, standing in the presence of his father, communing with him, transformed Jesus' face to be like the very face of God. He was on eagle's wings. He was transcending thoughts of punishment. Jesus was the Son triumphantly representing His very Father. Let's look at this further in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. You do what? Reflect the Lord's glory. Well, ladies, you spend hours or minutes every morning putting on makeup. And you're scared to death to walk outside of your home with an unveiled face. You better put on some glory of the Lord. (laughs) Oh, get your shine on, girls. Come on, get your shine on that face. And are transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. Come on, talk about the eternal makeup of God. You put it on and it's glorious, but it's ever-increasingly glorious. That's a product that can work. Which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Saints, we can stand in the presence of our Father, communing with Him. Right now, this will transform your face to be like the face of God. You will be on eagle's wings, transcending thoughts of punishment. Mm. You can be a son triumphantly representing who your father is. See, when you're no longer consumed with being punished, when you're no longer feeling yourself under the judgment of God, and it's right that you should feel yourself under the judgment of God until your position changes, but the moment that you know you are running towards what your father has said, something is different. You're not a slave ready to be punished. You're a son working and fighting and looking to advance your father's agenda and you know a crown is in store for you. See, that is the position of sonship. Look, you have to consider this deeply. We read to you out of Hosea 8 earlier where God's people were rebuked because they acknowledged the Father without doing His work. Isaiah 29 has the same kind of material. It was a correction of a people that acknowledged Him with their lips, but their hearts had actually drifted far from Him. 
We have to be able to evaluate where we stand today. Because if you're an American Christian, you've been taught all of your life to say the right things. But the position and posture of your heart tells the whole story. If you feel yourself under the judgment of God when you lay down at night. If you can find no peace of mind, if your life is full of fear, anxiety, fighting, if you have more unhappy days than happy days, how could you be a son of God? It's worth considering. You know, Jesus presented two kinds of sons for us to consider. They came to us in Matthew twenty-one twenty-eight. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will. But he did not go. Remember, Peter's emphatic statements with his own lips that turned out to be monumentally embarrassing. In Mark chapter 14 and verse 30, it says this. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Peter believed all the right things, didn't he? I mean, the truth is, is he abandoned, abandoned everything to follow Jesus. But after so much time with Jesus, years of being in his presence daily, after so much time, are are you like Peter today? Having spent so much time in services, so many, so much time over the course of years saying that you've left everything and yet acting so little like what Jesus acted. God, this is the furthest thing from being triumphant. Now our father is a good father. And he demonstrates this by removing those who don't represent him. Who are illegitimate sons. But he will refine those sons that do love him. Amen. I want to encourage you saints. What is helping you and will continue to help you rise above judgment. Is that when you realize how much the father loves you enough to refine you. I will go back and listen to last Wednesday's message that Pastor Eric preached, The Desert of Dependence. I'm still chewing on it. It's still encouraging and blessing my soul. And the result is that you'll be a refined element in the hand of God, valuable and useful to him as a son. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us into triumphal procession. Come on, you're going through that desert of dependence. It's going to lead you into triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Look, we don't want to leave a bad taste in your mouth. That positioning, that's up to you. You can see that Peter was very much the son who said, I will do it and then didn't. Can't you? I will even if I have to die with you. And then he failed monumentally. We're all in that position, aren't we? I want to 
share with you something that Peyton Parsons shared with me. The best messages come from those who were once students and are now peers. It really, it helped me understand this process of what it means to be a son who is being refined. It begins in Ezekiel. Let's read together in Ezekiel chapter 34. We're going to start in verse 13. We're going to read this out of the ESV to help highlight a few things for you. Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 13 in the ESV. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them. Say, I will feed. I will feed. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them. Say, I will feed. I will feed. With good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on, uh, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed. Say it with me. I will feed. Injustice. Three times the father said in that passage that he would feed the sheep. You know, it's interesting because Peter has denied Jesus three times. And three times the prophet Ezekiel said, okay, I will show up and I will feed the sheep. He also said that he would seek lost sons, bring back strayed sons, bind up the wounds of sons and strengthen weak sons. See, the father restores sons to the top of eagle's wings, but he does it by having them do what he does out of love. He's a father and he comes and says, look, I'm putting my foot here. Now you do it. I'm going to show you how to walk out my commands so that you will be full of my love and I will be loved by you. This restores. It perfects the sons that he loves. It builds the image of Christ in them, even as Christ is the image of the Father. Now carry forward Peter's denials, Ezekiel's promises to John 21. We'll start in verse 15. Say, there when you're there. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Can I summarize this for you in a slide? A son's restoration looks like this. In Mark 14, Peter denies Jesus not once, but three times. In Ezekiel 34, God himself has said, I will come. I will feed. I will shepherd. I will. I will. I will. He did it three specific times. Now in John 21, an older brother is telling a younger brother, you've been commissioned by the Father to feed the sheep. You've been commissioned by the Father to feed the sheep. You've been commissioned by the Father. 
He's not there to punish him for his failure. He's calling him to the higher standard of his father's work, his father's character. The good news in here today is no matter what yesterday looked like today, you can rise to do the work of the father. Jesus Christ has taken your punishment and left you with the opportunity to rise to become like your father. The reason I've been fighting for the character of the Father throughout the entire Bible and not just the Newer Testament is He has never changed. Jesus reveals to us what He is like. The ultimate expression of that is having been nailed to a tree in sin. He became sin for us. The Father still raised Him right out of death and seated Him in the highest heavens. He will grab you from where you are at and He will raise you up on high with Him if you want your position to change. The way that He perfects His sons, He perfects them by giving them His deeds to do. The world sees you doing His deeds and they glorify your Father in heaven because they go, that is a Son. That is a Son reflecting the Father. You are supposed to be a reflection of your Father. Do you need to return to the work of a Son today? Do you need to reposition your relationship with the Father Not because you're scared of judgment or punishment, but out of an overwhelming love that is for the Father and the Son who took your punishment so that you could be a son above the judgment instead of a slave awaiting your punishment. What do you need to do today? Turn with us to Revelation chapter 12. If you're like me, you can feel the Spirit of God stirring our hearts today. A call towards sonship that liberates you from the punishment and the fear of slavery. Look at what this says in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle. So that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert. Where she would be taken time, times, and a half time. Look at this last phrase. Church, when you're on the eagle's wings, when the eagle of God has, has taken you on his wings, you can be out of the serpent's reach. Oh, that's good. Come on, say that with me. Say, out of the serpent's reach. Out of the serpent's reach. God, do you hear that today? There are people here who are who are not escaping that. But God says today you can rise on his wings. You can be a son. You can be out of the serpent's reach in every area of your life. You can return to the wings of an eagle. A sonship with the father. Yeshua's triumph is what he has made this possible for you. He is the firstborn, but you are supposed to be the many brothers that follow. Love can place you on the eagle's wings above the judgment. And as a son, you can be serving the Father Himself. Amen. This should compel our hearts, saints. It should move us to do something. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. 
And he died for all that all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If you're compelled this morning, what kind of son will you be? Will you be the one who says yes and then doesn't do it? Maybe even come down to the altar to say that yes. But when you walk out the doors and not do it. Or you be the one that says no and stiffs arms and then later repents and actually goes through and does it. Hey, I think the Lord is offering you a third option today. Somebody say option number three. Option Option number number three. three. I think you are being presented with the option to be one who is out of reach of the serpent. One who is a son like Jesus. One who when he hears the will of the Father says, Yes, I will do it. And then he actually does it. I don't think we ought to have to say no and then later repent. I don't think that we ought to say yes and then never do it. I'm fighting for a third option. If you are a son on the wing of eagles, if you are out of the reach of the serpent, then we can stand, we can say, yes, I will do it, Lord. And then come hell or high water, it will get done. Holiness or die trying because our Father is worth it. Our older brother worked for it. And we are the beneficiaries of it. We have to. We have to go higher. Love compels us. Considered He descended into humanity far enough to be stricken on the heel by a serpent that is empowered in your sin so that He could lift you to a sonship on the wings of an eagle far above the reach of the serpent, punishment, or the fear of judgment. That kind of love compels you to get up, to rise up, to go up. It compels you to sonship. Oh, saints... We have to respond to something like this. The ecclesiastical world says it's triumphal entry. But i got to tell you, for most of them, there'll be nothing triumphal about it. They'll crucify the same Lord three days later. Do you know what is triumphant? When you enter into your rightful position as a son of God by a kind of belief that shows up in your action, a kind of restoration that begins to reflect the very work of God. Revelation 1 makes an astounding statement about our older brother Jesus. We're going to close with this. If we could put Revelation 1 in verse 5 on the screen. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Now, if he's the firstborn brother, if he's the older brother, and he was a faithful witness, what must you be? Who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead? If you live as a faithful witness, like your older brother Jesus, then like him who is the first to raise from the dead, do you know what you will do? Raise from the dead. And what is his third title? And the ruler of the kings of the earth. Have you read closely enough in the epistles to see that you rule the kings of the earth with him? That He is the King of kings and that even the angelic powers are subject not just to Him, but to you. Jesus Christ is showing you the way to live as a Son of God. And we must walk as He walked. This revelation of Jesus finishes with these words. To Him who loves us and has freed us. 
from our sins by His blood. Do you know actual freedom? Are you living in habitual, repetitive sin? Saying that you're a son because you believe, but living like a slave in the way that you act. Love compels you today to change your position. He has made us to be a kingdom of priests. To serve His God and Father. He is showing us how to be faithful sons. He stepped in and took a curse for us so you would have the opportunity to be a faithful son. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Those are just words if they don't have faithful feet attached to them. Somewhere, you have to look at your position. You have to say, have I been under the shadow of judgment? Because I never actually change or get this right. Some of you would sit and say, well, I don't want to do it till I can get it right. <laughs> the revelation is that you can't get it right without coming to the position that says I'm incapable. Daddy, I need your help. Father, transform me. See, Moses couldn't make his face glow. It was transformed by the love of the Father. Jesus Christ could not make his own face glow. He only did what he saw the Father doing. And so when he was in the presence of the Father, the Father made his face glow. Paul writing to the Corinthians, Paul couldn't make his face glow. And neither can you. But you can approach your father as a son and say, I want, I need your transformation and I don't care what it costs. Because of what Jesus Christ did, I am compelled anything that you say. Whatever you want, I will reflect you. That's what salvation and sonship actually look like. We've been defrauded in this country for too long. We've been lied to by popular puppets in the pulpit. They have taught you theological insulation from real salvation. Real salvation results in sons that look like their father. I know something about raising sons. I have Brandon sitting right back there. I have Cody sitting in this room. Judah sitting in this room. Gabriel sitting in this room. All of them are flawed. But a father loves his sons enough to perfect them because they are his sons. It's up to the son to respond to that perfection. To be compelled by that perfection. I can even recognize my son's sons. Something of the DNA goes all the way through the family line. Even those of us that are not of the same blood relationship. Is the love of the Father compelling you today? Is the DNA of your older brother Jesus saying, Stand up, get up, rise up, get on daddy's wings, stand on his shoulders, and get above the judgment of God? If that's what the Lord is saying to you as we stand to our feet, you do what the Lord compels you to do. I'm going to pray. And as for me and my household, we are going to serve the Lord as sons. Father, we call upon Your great name. It is above every name. There is no God like the God of Israel. We thank You for the faithful witness of Jesus the Christ. 
Lord, You are triumphantly entering into our life. And we want to triumphantly enter into Your life. Come and transform us here today. Mighty God, will You move in the midst of children that are beginning to believe. Will You transform us so that we can leave death and judgment behind us. In the name of Jesus, I pray.